0: We have a lot to cover and not a lot of time, and I want to give you guys time to discuss this in your group. So let's talk a bit about what's going on with this book. It's its placement in the New Testament matters, all right? So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, the rest of the New Testament letter. So the book of Acts is placed in the New Testament, I think, for a very particular purpose from, from ancient church history That's been the order of the New Testament. We have the Gospels, the story of the ministry of Christ. We have the New Testament letters that talk about the kind of goings-on of the church in the world. And right in between, we have this transition book, the book of Acts, that moves us from the ministry of Jesus to the ministry of the body of Christ, right? So that's instructive for us. Because as Jesus works and completes his work, in a sense— his body extends that work into the future. And so the book of Acts has this really kind of linchpin book for us. Now, who wrote the book of Acts? We, we know and have pretty good scholarly consensus that Luke, the physician, uh, a Gentile and a companion of Paul the Apostle, is the author of both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And so you can think about Luke and Acts as kind of a, uh, a, a two part story, um, maybe like an original and a sequel. Uh, that are tightly connected. So maybe another encouragement for you, as we think about studying through the book of Acts, you may be encouraged or helped by reading through the gospel of Luke. Because the more you understand the gospel of Luke, the the more you'll see Luke kind of do some things in the book of Acts that will be familiar to you, right? It's kind of like watching like the second Harry Potter movie, right? You can watch it and figure things out and you kind of understand who the characters are, but there's something in that first movie that's important for you to grasp that will help you better understand the second movie. And so it's the same with Luke and Acts. Again, he was Paul's companion. So he's traveling with Paul on his missionary journeys, writing some things down and and telling the church about it. So the story of Acts is the story of what Jesus is doing through the apostles and thus the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going on in the book of Acts. So so, for this morning, our goal this morning is just going to be introducing Acts. What's going on in this book? Why is it important? It's a dramatic telling of the birth of the church, which means it's also the dramatic telling of the beginning of persecution of the church. And in light of that persecution, the salvation of believers. It ends with Paul under house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial and being able to make a defense for his faith before the Roman Empire. And since we know that Paul eventually is released from that house arrest, if we read other New Testament letters, it seems most likely that Luke compiled this book during that stint in Rome. So if you're thinking about kind of timeline, uh, Jesus is crucified and resurrected about AD 33 or so. This book was written around AD 62 or so. So about 30 years after the ministry death resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So this morning, I want us to look at the major themes that we're going to notice over and over in the book of Acts that I I think will be a really helpful kind of rubric for us as we move through the school year to remember and to keep in mind. We'll think about what Jesus was doing after his resurrection and we'll prepare for the coming uh, or see how they are preparing for the coming Holy Spirit. So again, it's largely an introduction And I know that I'm already talking very fast, but I pray it will get us prepared for our time together for the rest of the year. So what I wanna do is I wanna read our text together, Acts chapter one, verses one through five, and then we'll dive into the major themes and then jump into the text, okay? So let's read. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's pray before we go any further. God in heaven, we are grateful. Grateful for your grace. Grateful for your love. Grateful for your power to inspire and preserve your holy word. And so, Lord, I pray that as we gather together as the people of God, as we gather together as people who want to grow in our faith and perhaps gather together as people who may not have yet confessed faith, would we see in the book of Acts the glories of our King Jesus sent by the Father to accomplish good purposes, to extend his glory to the ends of the earth by the power of the Spirit, to bring about life from death and to bring about the kingdom of God on earth. All these things and more we pray we will see in our times together this school year. Help us see it now by your grace this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you're taking notes this morning, go ahead and write down the major themes of Acts. I uh, in looking, kind of doing introductory material. You read some commentators and some Bible scholars, and there's a ton of different ways to skin the exegetical cat. And uh, you'll hear a whole or read about a whole different host of ways to kind of chop up this book. How do you make sense of it? What's the outline? What's the structure? What are some major themes that we see Luke uh, bringing about over and over again? And I was just thoroughly convinced. So I'll give credit where credit's due. There's a, a New Testament scholar named Patrick Schreiner lives in Kansas City, Missouri, and his commentary on Acts lays out these seven major themes that present a cycle that I think is just really persuasive. So this is not original to me, um, but we're going to see what, what Schreiner shows us in these themes that I really do think is from Luke. So if the gospel of Luke is all about, as it says in verse 1, all that Jesus began to do and teach. So, so Luke is saying, hey, in the first book, my gospel... I told you about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Then the book of Acts is all about what he continues to do and teach. That means the works, what he does, and the words, what he teaches, are both powerful and effective. So here is the list. Here are the seven themes that I think you and I are going to see over and over again. Number one, the Father orchestrates. God the Father orchestrates. We see all kinds of seemingly random circumstances that happen in the book of Acts. The first major section of Acts focuses largely on the ministry of Peter, while the second section of Acts focuses more on Paul. But behind it all, and behind all of their circumstances, behind all of the things going on in the life of the church, is the sovereign providence of God bringing his people and his creation to his good end. So as we read the book of Acts, you will see, man, God is at work over all of this, orchestrating these events, sovereignly leading people to do these things and to say these words and to be in these situations. So God the Father orchestrates. Second, number two, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, rules. Next week, we'll read about the ascension of Jesus as he he ascends from earth up to heaven to sit down at the right hand of the Father and rule as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But that doesn't mean that Jesus is absent from the book of Acts. It doesn't mean that he kind of is this main character who leaves in the first act and then we, don't ever, we never hear from him again or we never see him again. In fact, there are multiple places in the book of Acts where Jesus is seen. You think about the stoning of Stephen. And Stephen has this vision where he sees Jesus standing in heaven. We think about Acts chapter 9 where Paul is uh, almost kind of slain on the road to Damascus and blinded and he hears who? The voice of Jesus. So although he is not tangible in the majority of the book, he is regularly seen at the right hand of the Father reigning from heaven. So Acts reminds us what is still true right now. And that is King Jesus is on the throne. He rules and reigns. Number three, Christ's rule is through the Holy Spirit. So hopefully you're seeing some Trinitarian stuff going on, right? The Father's orchestrating all things. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, is ruling over all things, but his rule is through the Holy Spirit. Jesus sends the Spirit to apply the work of his reign. So we're going to see the work of the spirit kind of front and center in the book of Acts. He's going to fill people. He's going to uh, anoint people. He's going to give people words to speak. He's going to move people in certain places, seemingly impossible distances. But he does this in three major ways. First, we're going to see the spirit at work in the salvation of sinners. He is the one who brings life out of death because he applies the work of Jesus to those who need salvation. Number two, the Holy Spirit is at work applying the rule of Christ in the formation of the church. So as we read the book of Acts, we'll see the Spirit bringing these people together for the sake of communion and fellowship and mission. And that's the third thing. So he saves sinners, he forms a church, and he sends witnesses out on mission. So he fills like the apostle Paul and Barnabas and sends them out to go share the gospel to those who have never heard. We're gonna see the Spirit a lot at work in the book of Acts. Number four, the Spirit causes the word to progress. So the word of God, as we read the book of Acts, is proclaimed by the power of the Spirit, And then things happen, like things happen when the word is proclaimed in the power of the Spirit. We'll see over and over and over again that the word of God and the Spirit of God are always working together in the book of Acts to produce God's intended results. And that's instructive for us as believers because we live under the same rule of Christ, We have the same Word of God and we're empowered by the same Spirit of God. So when you and I go out into the world to make much of Jesus and to glorify Him with our lives and to share the good news of the gospel, we can trust that the Spirit will be at work when the Word is present because these things are always together. Word and Spirit. Fifth, the Word and Spirit bring salvation. The Word and Spirit Bring salvation. As we read through the book of Acts, the major purpose we see in that work of the Word and the Spirit is the salvation of sinners. Those who were far from God being brought near. Those who were running headlong towards sin being transformed into new creations. Those who were Gentiles running away from God, having no knowledge of God, meeting Him through the Word and having their eyes opened by the Spirit. Sixth, these believers form the church. So again, these themes are are kind of pulled from the work of the Spirit, right? But but we're going to see these Christians, these followers of Jesus, or followers of the way, as Luke says sometimes in the book of Acts, gathering together to become these communities, these fellowships, these, these families of faith. So as the Spirit saves sinners, he doesn't save them as individuals to leave them isolated in a world that hates God. He creates a community of saints who will serve as outposts and embassies of the kingdom of God. Which leads us to number seven. That church continues to witness about the triune God to the ends of the earth. So from that church... Believers are sent to share the good news of the gospel. And what is the good news that they share? There is a God who orchestrates all things. And his son, Jesus Christ, rules over the universe as King of kings and Lord of lords. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we bring this word to you. And those sinners who get saved. And those sinners who are saved form churches. And those churches then send out more people to go share the good news of the gospel. And what do they share? There is a God in heaven who orchestrates all things. He's sovereign over all things, and his son, Jesus Christ, rules. Do you see the picture here? It's this cycle that over and over we will see in the book of Acts. God at work, Father, Son, and Spirit, to bring about salvation from sinners, to form churches who are sent on mission to proclaim his glory. So keep your eyes open as we read together for these themes, all right? Okay. Now let's get into the text before us. So, point number two. (laughs) You already have seven, now let's just go to two. What was Jesus doing? All right, WWJD, you know, what was Jesus doing in these 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension? Well, Luke wants to tell us, but he starts by telling us, who he's writing to. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus. Well, who is Theophilus? Maybe instructive or helpful for us to know who this book's being written to. And commentators are split on whether or not Theophilus was actually a historical person. It may well have been. It could have been a a Gentile patron, somebody who kind of supported Luke and his ministry financially or in other ways. But I think regardless of whether or not Theophilus was a historical person, The Venerable Bede, a a believer from the very early church, says something that I think is helpful for us to keep in mind. You'll see it on the screen. Theophilus means lover of God or beloved of God. Therefore, anyone who is a lover of God may believe that this work was written for him. Because the physician Luke wrote it in order that the reader might find health for his soul. So brothers and sisters, if you love God, this book is for you. If you are beloved by God, then this book is for you. Now Luke ends his first book, his gospel, with the resurrection, the promise of the Holy Spirit, and the ascension. And we're going to see that repeated here in Acts chapter 1. So through the Spirit, as the text tells us, Jesus was instructing the apostles, right? He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom had chosen. Remember, what was Jesus's relationship to these disciples who were now calling apostles? In that culture, he was their rabbi. He was their teacher. He was the one who modeled for them what the good life was like. And he was the one who taught them what the good commands for a blessed life were. Now they're going to follow his teachings and his example. And he did this for 40 days, Luke tells us. Now that's Significant, that's a significant number and a significant time in Scripture. Now think about it. Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai receiving the law in the Old Testament, preparing to lead Israel into the promised land. Elijah in 1 Kings went to Mount Horeb on a 40-day journey to be prepared to continue his ministry as a prophet in a land that hated God, that ran after false idols. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness as a preparation for his ministry on earth. So these apostles spending 40 days with Jesus means they are being prepared for something very, very significant. What was Jesus teaching and showing them? Well, I think we can answer this a couple of ways. First, I think Jesus is teaching them about the reality of his resurrection, right? It says that he uh, presented himself alive to them After his suffering, that is after his cross. We don't just believe in the idea of resurrection as some fanciful thing that inspires us to live a certain way. No, Jesus suffered, Luke tells us. He died on the cross for sinners like you and me, and he rose from the dead. Physically, tangibly, really historically rose from the dead. The truth of the resurrection of Jesus will be the foundation of much of the apostles' teachings in Acts. So he's teaching them about the reality of his resurrection. Second, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. That's what Luke tells us very clearly here. For 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, uh, I don't have this on the screen, but you just listen. You can write this down. This is also not for me. This is from a man named Graham Goldsworthy and other folks. What is the kingdom of God? Well, a, a short, helpful definition is that it's God's people in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. i right, I'm gonna say that again. What is the kingdom of God? It's God's people, in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. So Jesus is sharing with the apostles the mission of God to redeem a people for himself and to establish a kingdom that will extend from sea to sea, that will extend to the ends of the earth. And that teaching that Jesus already began in the Gospels and now continues now in these 40 days of preparation will be what they proclaim when they go to the nations and and share what is this God up to? What is he doing? Well, he's establishing his kingdom. But third. I think Jesus is teaching the apostles how to read their Bible. Now, in order for us to kind of glean this, hold your place in the book of Acts and skip back to Luke chapter 24. Again, the more we understand the gospel of Luke, we're going to be helped and instructed on understanding the book of Acts. So in Luke chapter 24, we're in the section where Jesus, who has resurrected from the dead, has appeared to his disciples, and he's teaching them, he's admonishing them, he's encouraging them. So find with me Luke 24, verse 44. A lot of pages, we'll give you a second. Luke 24, verses 44 and following. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, Moses, prophets, Psalms is a shorthand way to say the whole Old Testament. Everything from Genesis to Malachi, this is what Jesus has in mind. All of scripture up to this point, all right? Verse 45, "'Then he opened their minds.'" to understand the scriptures and said to him said to them thus it is written that the christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from jerusalem you are my witnesses of these things i just stopped there So what is Jesus doing for 40 days, appearing to the the disciples as the resurrected Lord? He is sharing with them how to read the Bible as a Christian. In other words, how to read the Bible as the Bible was intended to be read. Okay, He's sharing with the apostles, how do I read these books? How do I read this scripture and understand it? Rightly, what Jesus is doing here is showing the apostles how he is the centerpiece, the cornerstone, the main character of all Holy Scripture. The Bible is the revelation of God in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that way of reading the Bible was shown and taught by Jesus himself to the apostles And there was a man in the early 2nd century by the name of Irenaeus. Irenaeus was a disciple of a man named Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of a man named John, the apostle, the one whom Jesus loved. And so Irenaeus writes this book called On the Apostolic Preaching. And in that book, he says, here's what I've received from Polycarp, who, if you wonder if it's legit, received it from John. So like, that's a pretty, that's a pretty hard argument to, to fight against, right? Like, well, I heard this from my guy who heard it from the Apostle John. So like, if you think I'm saying something wrong to you, take it up with the one that Jesus loved, you know? And what he says in On the Apostolic Preaching is that this idea of reading the Bible like the Apostles, should be the mission of Christians everywhere. That Jesus taught the apostles how to read the Bible, and the way that the apostles teach others how to read the Bible is by writing the New Testament. So when we read the New Testament, we're learning from the apostles how Jesus taught them how to read the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is all about Jesus. He's the centerpiece. He's the cornerstone. He's the main character. And so as we read the New Testament... We're reading the apostles say, hey, I'm just giving you what I've received. And who do they receive it from? They received it from Jesus himself. That will be instructive for us when we read in the book of Acts, the sermons of the apostles, the way that they proclaim the gospel and the way that they use the Old Testament to do it. You and I as Christians want to know, we should all strive and have a passion to know how to read the Bible as the Bible's intended to be read. And the book of Acts is gonna be really helpful for us on figuring out how to do that. All right, so what was Jesus doing? He was appearing to them. He was presenting himself alive. He was teaching them about the kingdom of God and he was showing them how to read their Bibles like Christians. All things, I pray, that we would want to believe and do. All right, two more quick verses and then we're done. All right, what did Jesus tell them to do in verse four? It says, as they were staying or as they were waiting uh, or eating with them, <clears throat> he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So, third point this morning wait, waiting for the promise, waiting for the promise. Luke often used meals in his gospels as times of very important teaching. So it's instructive for us to see that what they're doing here, you should probably have a footnote on your translations, that word in verse 4, staying, can also be translated eating. So while they're enjoying a meal, Jesus is telling them to wait for the promise of the Father. This promise is also referenced in Luke chapter 24. You don't have to turn there, but just the very next verse that we were going to read in verse 49, it says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed, With power from on high. So he says, Wait. I'm gonna give you the promise of the Father. So wait until you are clothed with power on high. That is, from heaven, Jesus will send whatever or whoever the Father has promised, which is none other than the Holy Spirit. There's an important idea for us just to touch on very quickly, and that is God. The Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity is always united in his inseparable work. That is, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are always working as the one God. Their work is connected to their relations. So God is God. the Father is unbegotten. He's unsent. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. He's the only Son from the Father and sent by the Father into the world to save sinners. And the Spirit, as we see here, is promised by the Father and sent by the Son. So there's this double sending of the Spirit by both the Father and the Son. It's promised in places like Isaiah 32 and Joel 2:28 and 29. We don't have time to read these verses, but these are prophecies that the Spirit would be given and poured out on believers. That is, the Spirit is coming to empower believers in a new way now that the resurrected Jesus is ruling from on high. The Son's earthly mission includes the sending of the Spirit to accomplish His own mission. Again, this is one of the themes, the Word and the Spirit Are always together. Luke then shows us this comparison from Jesus and John about their baptisms. Now, if you remember in the Gospels, John the Baptist is out in the wilderness baptizing those who fear the Lord and are coming in repentance. So he's baptizing them as a sign of repentance, but it was with water. I mean, John's baptism was a sign. Jesus is going to baptize. He's going to immerse. He's going to anoint his followers with the Spirit of God. It is not merely a sign. So to be clear, what we're talking about here is not a comparison between the baptism of John and our baptism that we see on Sunday mornings. What what Luke is talking about is the, the promise that baptism from John points to And the reality that when you and I become believers, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. We are cleansed by, covered by, immersed in the Spirit of God. It's a radical move that brings new life into the people of God. Now in just a few weeks, we'll see this in action when we get to Acts 2 and the day of Pentecost. So I'd love for you to spend some time in your groups thinking about what exactly is the baptism of the Spirit. But for now, we see that the disciples are to stay and wait for the Spirit in obedience to Christ. As we land the plane, that that command still rings true today, doesn't it? I cannot, you cannot obey the Word of God apart from the Spirit. You can't. You can't go your own way. I can't truly follow Jesus apart from his Holy Spirit at work in me. And neither can you. So as we come to a close and prepare to spend, I pray, some good time thinking through the book of Acts. Consider, am I waiting for the Spirit? Or am I working and moving in my own power, in my own circumstances, with my own wisdom, in my own strength? Soon, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. So let's pray that we're walking in step with the Spirit, leading us to live under the banner of the King who rules from on high, who has given us the promise of the Father, who is sending us out into the world as his witnesses.